0: Welcome to another edition of the Battling Pickle Podcast. My name is Dr. John Westphal, and I am an associate professor of psychology at Delta State University, home of the Statesman and the Fighting Okra. Uh, Fighting Okra to a five-year-old or below looks kind of like a battling pickle, which is where the name of this podcast comes from. This week our topic is on the history of psychology, Uh, basically some stuff that can seem a little dry, but we're going to try to make it a little more interesting to talk about today while thinking about a very old question, and that is, where does the mind reside? So as I said, our topic this week is focusing on history of psychology, and this is one of the classes that I'm teaching in fall of 21, and it's one that unfortunately can get a bad rep from time to time, because history is not always the most engaging, it is not always the most exciting things that you Think about on a daily basis, but there's always something that you can draw. And there's a few things that I want to draw from the history of early psychology, actually philosophy, to modern day. Before I get to that, I want to talk about a cool reference uh, resource that you might not be aware of that anyone can access. And it's a website called Today in the History of Psychology. Uh, this was a project that was started a number of years ago by a professor of psychology, and about five years ago, or maybe four years ago now, uh, it became a part of the resources for the Society for the Teaching of Psychology. So if you go to teachpsych.org, and you go under resources, and then resources for teachers, there's a link to the wiki that's today in the history of psychology, and you can look up any particular day and see what happened on that day. Uh, so for today, August 16th, uh, 1832, Wilhelm Wundt was born. Wundt was one of the earliest experimental psychologists. It's the first functional psychology lab that we talk about is uh, at his lab in Leipzig, Germany in 1879. He was one of the pioneers of a technique called introspection, which had its own problems, but it was the first Formal idea of experimental psychology. So w- happy birthday, uh, Wilhelm Wundt, for uh, you know your contributions to psychology. It's very appropriate that this is the first day of the semester for us and uh, Wundt's birthday. Uh, and other interesting things that happened today, you know, debatable. The first issue of APA Daily News, the APA convention newspaper, was published uh, for the APA convention in San Francisco in 1991 on this day. Um, But yeah, it's a great resource. And if you are just interested in what you can add to a psychology class, or if you want to, if you're a psychology student and you want to freak out your professor, you can say, hey, did you know that today is Vunt's birthday or whatever? You can grab all that information from today in the history of psychology. Like I said, you can go to teachpsych.org choose resources and then resources for teachers and find the link to this particular wiki. And if you want to contribute to it, it is a project that you can join up as a person uh, interested in volunteering uh, with the Society for the Teaching of Psychology. So shifting gears a little bit, uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, Descartes and John Locke. Uh, René Descartes lived, you know, the beginning of the 17th century, uh 1596 to 1650 so he's in that era and Descartes is probably best known for the phrase cogito ergo sum i am thinking therefore i exist and if you've taken a philosophy class you know that this was one of his seminal works um the idea that um there's a made basically it's part of his defense of there is a Uh, existence of God, Um, but Descartes is basically pointing out that he has to exist because he can think about it. He can recognize himself, and he's got agency in a sense. Um, One of the things that we don't often think about, though, is that Descartes was, like all people, a product of his culture, time, place. He did not exist in a vacuum, and he was a devout Catholic. And he had to find ways to make what he was thinking about in terms of philosophy mesh with the theology of the Catholic Church at the time. And that is one of the things that the textbook that I use for History of Psychology mentions. And it's one of the reasons why... Some of his thoughts and some of his philosophies get very complex and get, you know, to a modern reader, you look at and go, why is God being brought into this so much? Well, it's because at that time, philosophy and theology were often thought of as the same thing in terms of you don't question these things. they are theological backings behind everything that we do in life, and we're not going to, you know, get into things separate from God. So Descartes is trying to walk a fine line. And if you think about today, what we see happening in the world, you can just look in 2021, how many times do we see God and theology brought in to not only back up something, but explain something or as a requirement in order to kind of pass a test for someone? Uh, I think of people that you, you talk to about their beliefs. And if you're not acknowledging their religious beliefs, you're in essence not going to get your foot in the door. You're not going to get them to even start to think about life until you've acknowledged that religion is a thing. Their religion is an integral part of their lives. And I think this is where modern day, we don't really remember the lesson of Descartes. We don't remember that Descartes, in order to get a very, very influential theory or philosophy out there, he had to be able to talk about it in the context that people of his time wanted to hear about it. And if he couldn't talk about it in that context, even if it had nothing to do with that context, it wasn't going to get any traction. He wasn't going to be able to get it published. He wasn't going to be able to talk about it freely. He was going to be told, you know, just shut up, Descartes. This is not something you're talking about. And If you think about today, the way that people try to advance their ideas, especially in secular culture, non-religious culture, there is sometimes an active backlash against anything that ties to theology, anything that ties to God or ties to uh, the afterlife, all of those concepts. And if you think about it, that's kind of doing a disservice to people who would otherwise find those to be useful concepts because they're basically... Going to immediately dismiss them out of hand. So, when you are watching television and you hear someone, you know, basically shun religion or shun any idea of religion, maybe that's a great thing in their mind to defend their work as purely a scientific basis, purely a philosophical basis. But if there's a way to discuss it without tainting it, So I'm not asking anyone to change their philosophical or um, science-based stance. I'm a scientist myself, so I wouldn't think to do that. But if there's a way to acknowledge theology and acknowledge religion and religion's role, it will help you gain more traction in that theory and gain more acceptance. In other words, the previous five minutes could sort of be summed up as don't be unnecessarily adversarial. You know, if you have to be adversarial, if you're if you have to say this is that and this is why, then you have to be that way because there's no other way around it. But if you can acknowledge a philosophy of religion as part of your work, you're just going to be able to make people feel a little bit more at ease, even if later uh, your work might cause them to question their religious beliefs or their philosophies. Um, I mean, questioning is a good thing. When you get more information, you should openly question things. But you don't want people to shut off immediately. And we know that one way that for sure you will get people to shut off immediately is by saying, uh, you're wrong, and I don't like your God, and I don't like your religion, and people will immediately clam up to that. In addition to Descartes, uh, we also have another notable philosopher that came along a little bit after Descartes. They overlapped slightly, but not in the the professional realm because they were only alive for about 18 years uh, while they were both alive, and that is John Locke. Uh, Locke is best known for this concept of tabula rasa, or the blank slate, Uh, the idea that you're born completely ready to receive information, but you're not born with any built-in information. This obviously uh, becomes uh, at odds with religious teachings of the time uh, and uh, at odds with a lot of the understanding of the time that believed that things were passed down knowledge-wise through genetics. In fact, uh, Locke and later um, philosophers would clash over this as well. And, and if you're taking my history of psychology class, you're going to hear more about these clashes over, do you have knowledge that's genetically built in? But Locke is an interesting character in that um, we don't really think about him from anything more than rasa. You Rasa. Know, John Locke, Tabula Rasa. But what he's really advancing with tabula rasa are very important core concepts in psychology of associate, association, the idea that you are continually adding pieces of information together in your brain and linking them together, and an empirical method that you can understand experience by experiencing it. If that, uh, you know, use the word twice in the same sentence. You can understand what's going on with someone um, not by theorizing about it or sitting back and thinking about it. You can actually watch it and record it. That's the empirical method. And so Locke is going to be somewhat at odds with some of the other philosophers, but he's laying the groundwork for something that in 1879 would take place at the University of Leipzig, and that is Wilhelm Wundt's lab opening to take us back full circle to one's birthday. Hopefully you found some interesting material in this. Uh, I will try to pepper up uh, history of psychology as much as possible. I hope that my students this semester, they're submitting discussion questions each week. So I'm hoping that some of the things that they're talking about will be of interest to my podcast listeners, and I can add in some of their comments. And I hope that all of you have a great week. This has been another episode of the Battling Pickle podcast. Remember that you can interact with the podcast by going to anchor.fm slash battling pickle and you can leave me a voice message. I can play that on here and discuss it. Uh, Happy to do that. Happy to have uh, current, former, future students interact with me and anyone else who happens to be listening to this podcast. Have a great day.